Hi, everyone. I'm just going to be doing some rearranging, some changing. How topical. Not all of you got that. We're off to a bad start. Um, my name is Bill Saccone. I'm an elder here. I don't normally preach, but I'm, I'm really happy to have the opportunity to share with you. Before I do, I just, the whole microphone thing threw me off, but I do want to thank uh, Chuck for his prayer, for the musicians who serve, for, for the people who serve here each and every week. There's uh, a quote, they say Picasso said that some people have the ability to take the sun and turn it just to like a yellow dot on a page. And other people with their hard work and their gifts, they can make a yellow dot on a page into a sun. And I think here at this community, we're so blessed with so many people who are not only gifted, but are committed with their gifts to serve so that we might see who God is, that we might see who Jesus is in his heart for us. And um, I want to thank all of them for that, especially Matt Agresti just works so hard here. Will you, can we thank him? Thank you all. If you haven't been with us the last uh, few weeks, we've been going through a sermon series called Just Face It, Facing the Change That Faces You. And today is actually the wrap up of, of this uh, sermon series. I'm supposed to be able to control the slides. Here we go. So I don't know that I have to spend a lot of time convincing you that change is coming. Change is always happening. Um, there was a, hold my calls please. <laughs> there was a, a story of a Persian king that, that brought his wise men together and he said, I want a saying that I can use, give me an expression that I can use that will be right for all times and all ways and for all people. And the expression they came back with was, this too shall pass. And Aristotle, he wrestled with the nature of matter and, and how things are and how they exist and, and where he landed and, and what has largely shaped our philosophies and, and how we look at the world is things both are and they are becoming. You are both being and becoming, right? So you're never just static. There's always change happening. Change will always be coming. Not the slide changing, but. <laughs> so change will come. The Bible also, right from the beginning, has change right in the middle of it. The story. I'm never doing slides again. <laughs> I tried for you all. This is how it's going. <laughs> There's telephone poles down, I don't know. <laughs> the Bible starts out right in Genesis 1 with this poem. And, and in this poem, it, it gives us this breakdown of how creation is laid out. And it says, on day one, there's light and darkness. and day two, there's sky and, and firmament. On, on day three, sea and lands and vegetation and four, there's sun, moon, and stars, and there's seasons. And on day five, he creates birds and animals. And on day six, men and women. And on day seven, it said that God had accomplished all he had set out to do. And he rested. 
And that's how this God decides to inter, like, introduce himself to us with this poem. And what we know from, from Hebrew poems and, and other poems from that time in this area of the world is they're not linear the way we think of them. They don't just build to the climax. There's, there's the way they ascend and, and descend and, and, and they connect back. And you can see if you look at the first three days, God is creating and then he's separating. And then if you look at the second three days, he's taking those things and filling them back into the things that he created. So he's taking the things from day four and filling them into day one. And, and day five, he's filling them into day two. Um, sorry, day three. And, and so you can see this kind of connection. But the other thing about these Hebrew poems is often what's in the middle is some of the most important things that the author is trying to communicate to you. And we can see in the middle of this that on day four, that God created the sun, moon, and stars to be a sign of seasons. So right from the beginning, if you're reading this, you know seasons are important. Things are going to change. God, God is telling you the nature of how things will work. Things aren't just going to change, things are changing. Kind of whether we like it or not. There's going to be a shifts, and some seasons will be good, and some seasons maybe not so good. How many of you know that even good seasons can cause stress and anxiety? This week I was looking up what some of the most stressful things are in life, and some of them you would get, right? Death in the family, maybe job loss. Hi, Mom. My mom didn't lose her job, I just saw her and I said hi. Other things that are stressful, though, are things like marriage, getting married, things like having a child, changing a job. Even if it's a good job, these things can be stressful. These are all changes in seasons that we go through. And so when we think of it, we can see that change is going to be a part of life. And so it makes sense that that God from the beginning would want you to understand that there are seasons to, to how this life is gonna work. And if there are seasons and, and we know things are gonna change, then it would make sense that we have to be good at handling change. We have to know how we're going to go through something because we know that we will, because things are and they are becoming, because this too will pass, because seasons are always upon us. You think about that, I'm going to drink. So today as we wrap up our series, I don't know that I'll touch on anything that you haven't heard in the last few weeks, but I hope to tie it together and I think you'll, you'll pick out some of those things. But what I would propose, and you're in church so this probably isn't going to surprise to you, that the best way the way that God looks for us to handle change in all ways, in, in all of our days, is that we would always be seeking God, returning to God, and resting in Him. And that's a line from the book of Isaiah. It says, in returning and rest, you will be saved. In seeking God, in returning, in, in always repenting, you will be saved. And in that rest, that rest that God gives us will be saved. And that's what I want to unpack for us this morning. Before I go any further, though, I, 
I want to tell you a story. Um, growing up, um, I was blessed. I had this great neighborhood. I lived in what was basically like a giant cul-de-sac with a big park behind our house with a lot of kids who were my age or a little bit older. And we played every sport you could think of. And we were always coming up with some different tournament and something or other. And on this particular day, we were playing wiffle ball. We were having a wiffle ball tournament. I'm going to pull up a slide just so that I can walk you through what the rules were. Because when you're having a two-on-two -two wiffle ball tournament, that's a little bit confusing, right? Who's in the field? But now, a two-on-two -two tournament, it would mean, obviously, two people versus two other people. And the way you would get on base is not actually running the bases, but however far you could hit the ball and get it past the other oppo opposing players without them catching it or stopping it, that meant you got to a certain base. So if you got it to a certain area, you'd get a single or a double or a triple. Or if you got it all over a fence, you'd get a home run. Now, on this day, there were a lot of kids. It was in my backyard. And um, we, we made up teams. And I was teamed up with Kevin. Nobody ever wanted to be teamed up with Kevin. Was, Ke was Kevin's family here? What's happening? <laughs> So we came up with this tournament, and then Kevin and I were facing the best people in the neighborhood, Chris and Rakesh. Chris was, I was 12, Chris was about 15. So even if you just think about the age difference there, that's pretty big. So everybody was heckling me and Kevin right from the outset because they thought we were going to lose, and I think they were right to think that. What they didn't know is that while I don't have a lot of athleticism, and I have a very, very short attention span. Every once in a while, those two things come together. And I am awesome. <laughs> and that happened this day. And I don't know what kicks it off or what triggers it. I would do it all the time if I did, but I don't. But on this day, I was good. I was, I was pitching my curveball with a wiffle ball. You know how you can, like, it just curves so much. People thought it was coming for their heads, and then it would curve the last minute and hit the strike zone. I was grabbing things one-handed. I was hitting it out of the park. I was amazing. I would call it like Michael Jordan-esque, but that doesn't communicate how good I was. <laughs> Kevin was himself that day dropping balls, striking out. He wasn't just bad physically, like he wasn't just making, he was making like mental errors. He was just bad. He was very bad. And every time I thought like we got ahead and everybody was cheering for us, Kevin would make some mistake that got us like right back down. We'd be losing again and it was terrible. And, and I, I was letting Kevin know. I was letting him know how displeased I was. Not only that, but you know what happens when you have a group of people who are in the audience, right? Like other guys our own age or older. I wasn't just getting celebrated for my performance that day, but every shot I took at Kevin was also granting me the favor of my peers. I was much better than them that day. They weren't my peers that day, but you know what I mean. <laughs> that day I was... We won that day. I pulled it out. No thanks to Kevin. We won. I won. It was shocking. 
it was like the dream team being beat by any five of you at basketball. Like it was just, it shouldn't have happened, but we won. And I remember I was, um, all my friends were like slapping me on the back. Chris and Rakesh were just shocked. They didn't know what to do with themselves. And I'm walking up. So I'm walking up my deck in my family's house that I grew up in. And I went inside and um, my father, he came down the stairs. And so we kind of met on this plateau. And I figured he had heard everything. And I was waiting for like a, hey, heard you out there, like way to go. And he looked devastated. I mean, it was one of those moments where you see somebody's face and even before you can articulate or process what has happened, what has gone wrong, you know that something terrible is wrong. It didn't, I didn't know. I, I couldn't even imagine what it was. I, I figured somebody had died. That's the look of, um, of horror on his face. I'm going to ask you a favor right now. I'm going to put that story on hold. And I want to look at the scripture together. And then I want to come back to that. Will you do that with me? Will you hang, hang out with me on this? Okay. One of the most challenging things to do in life is to not think that we're in a better place than we are. Is to not think that we're something that we're not. And the scripture I want to look at today is from a book called Hebrews. The, the letter to Hebrews, we don't actually know who wrote it. It was, it was written to a group of, of believers who were Jewish. And, and the letter, whoever wrote it, it's, it's obvious that they knew this community of people well. They knew who this letter was going to. Um, because they, they give us hints in the book. But um, again, we don't, we don't know who it is and we don't really know what area they were, they were in specifically. Um, this is less of a letter and more of like a written out sermon. And it's, it's one, of my, one of my favorite books of the Bible just because the way it ties in everything so beautifully and it, it really lets you see how it's all connected. And it's, it's really great. Um, where we're going to pick up the story is in Hebrews chapter 3, and, and we'll go there now. So the author, and, and again, because it's like a sermon, we're kind of picking it up in the middle. Um, but he starts out by saying this, as it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Now, Right away, we can see whoever he's talking to, he's giving them a, a warning. Hey, I'm about to say some hard things. Don't harden your hearts. Be careful of that. And we'll talk about what the rebellion means. See, what he's talking about, the rebellion, and we, we can even read on if I can scroll this through. He said, now who were they who heard and yet who were rebellious? Was it not those who left Egypt under the leadership of Moses? But with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And, to whom he, and whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? 
if not those of who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Now, this letter, like I, I mentioned, this sermon is being preached to a group of Jewish people who are believers. Now, this would have made total sense to them because when they grew up and how they grew up, they would have heard of this story immediately. So what the author is referencing is when, when the Israelites were, they were slaves in Egypt and God had brought them out of Egypt. He had, he had crushed the Egyptians. You, you may have heard of the story of the, the plagues and what he had done to Egypt to help get them out of Egypt. And they came through and God brings them to the promised land and they don't want to go in. They're unwilling to go. And so God says, I, I don't know what to do with you. I don't know what to do with you. That's it. We're done. Your children will go into the land. You will, you will wander this desert. And part of why he did that was not just because he was mean, but he, he had this group of people who kept seeing what he was doing for them. He had this people he kept calling to himself. He was, he was, he, he parted waters for them to walk through. He sent plagues to crush their enemies. He gave them freedom. He led them out of, of this terrible oppression. And all they did at each and every time was met his faithfulness with disbelief. They met the wonder of what he was doing with selfishness and anger. And they said, we're not doing what you tell us to do. We're not going. And what the author is saying to them here is, he goes on to say, after he explains this to them, he says, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest is still open, let us take care that none of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For indeed, the good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. What the preacher is sharing with them is, do you see what happened to them? Do you see how these people heard and saw God and yet they missed it? They missed the promised land. They missed the rest that God had promised them and wanted to give to them. Now, that word rest, we heard that once before this morning, right? We heard that right at the beginning. In the very beginning, God said he had accomplished all that all he had meant to do, and God rested. And that was in Genesis 1. And this author here is referencing what had happened in Genesis 1 so that these people can understand what God has set out to do has not changed. He is looking to bring his people to rest. He is looking to, to bring them into his kingdom. Now, when we think of rest, God's rest and our rest is not the same thing. What, when we talk about the rest here, we talk about creation and the rest of God. We're talking about we're talking about like a president being inaugurated and then taking rest in the White House. We're talking about a, a home being built and then the people moving in. 
See, when God rested, what he was doing was he was bringing his reign, his kingdom, his peace into the place he had created. That was God's rest. His kingdom, his rest, his reign in the world. And so what he is, the author is telling them here is be careful not to miss it. Be careful not to miss the thing that you've been aiming for, that your life would be for God, given to God, found in him, that you would do things the way God is calling you to do them, not the way you would do them. Why is he cautioning them of this? Why, for these people who are clearly struggling with things and probably feel like they should have a party and not an intervention, why is he coming after them saying like, hey guys, you have to be careful. You have to keep going. These things that you're doing, like, guys, you have to, if, just hearing it is not enough. Just having it said is not enough. You need to keep going. That makes sense, right? Anybody ever watch the show The Biggest Loser? I love that show. You don't lose weight by watching that show. You can watch Jillian Michaels 24 hours a day. You're not going to... No Jillian Michaels fans here from that show? Okay. It's weird. <laughs> you can hear it. You can know it. That's not going to help. I had a, a dear friend who is no longer with us, who's passed away because of complications of, of weight. And every time we spoke to him, if you talked about any diet or any exercise, he knew more than you did. He could finish your sentence. It didn't help. It didn't help. See, what the author of Hebrews is telling his friends, his community, the, the people that he cares about is a lot of people can hear about the promises of God. A lot of people can witness miracles. A lot of people can see things and, and, and be encouraged and even be amazed, even, even come to church every Sunday or, or worship. That doesn't mean that you're changing. It doesn't mean that you're abiding in the rest of God, in, in, the, in the peace, in the, in the kingdom, in the reign of Jesus. And what he's telling them is be careful that you don't drift. Be careful that you don't miss it because you can. When after the creation, we know that the fall came and creation was broken, sin entered in and there was a fall. And what God did in response to that was he came himself as Jesus. He came to save. Not to judge, but to save. Do you notice even in what Todd shared last week, if you heard that, people were always coming to Jesus and wanted him to judge everything. God, tell us who's right. Can you judge this person? We, we want you to set things right. And he was like, I'm not here to judge. Don't you understand? You've been judged. 
It's fallen. It's broken. Look around you. Look at how people are treating one another. You know how separate you feel. You know how alone you feel. I, Jesus is saying, I know how alone you feel. I'm not here to judge. I'm here to save you. God didn't come into the world to, to condemn it. He came to save it because he loved it. He loves you. But is that changing me? Is that changing you? Are we looking to abide in that rest, in that returning to God and rest? Are we willing every day to wake up and seek God today? The author goes on to say, therefore, let, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one may fall through such disobedience as theirs. Indeed, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Do you see what's confusing about that first sentence? Why would we make every effort to enter into rest? That's, that doesn't make sense to us. Not the way we understand rest. Not the way that we think of like, oh, everything's okay. I think sometimes we live in a world, I don't know about you, I feel like a lot of people want to be like, it's fine. Everything's okay. It's fine. Don't worry about it. It's fine. You're fine. Your feelings are your feelings. That's okay. No one can tell you how to feel. You're fine. I don't think that's true. I'm sorry, I don't think that's a very popular opinion. I don't think that's true. Sometimes my feelings are wrong. Sometimes what I think is wrong. Sometimes I can drift to the wrong place in life and in my thinking. And what God calls us to is let's make every effort to enter into that rest. Make sure that you don't drift. In life, you will go off course. That's the returning. In life, you'll get tempted to be swayed by something that isn't good for you. You'll get pulled in a certain direction. You, you, maybe you pull away from community and, and you stop seeking God in something and just, you just forget. But it's in returning and seeking God in his rest, in his reign. That's where we are best equipped to live out life to serve him and to face all the change that will come to us. I heard a, a great little factoid. I assume it's true. I, f I confirmed it on the internet. <laughs> on the Apollo mission to the moon, the first one, they were off course 97% of the time. 97%. That's a lot of off course. Do you know what that means? If, if it's true, let's just pretend it's true. It means it was a constant. Where am I? Where am I going? Where am I? Where am I going? It's a constant returning. It's a constant repentance. It's a constant looking to where I need to be. And it's not just returning to let me 
let me make sure that I can be the most relaxed I can be. But it's returning to, to what God's rest. It's returning to his reign, to his kingdom. It's the thing that we were made for, to dwell in, to be with him, to find in him. It's in returning and rest. That's what God wants for us. The scariest thing that can happen to us is if we think we have it and we don't. And we, especially those of us who are here each week, who maybe we listen to sermons online, we read books, we do all sorts of things, we get filled with the head knowledge of what it means to be a follower of Jesus without ever being changed by Jesus. And that's scary because that's how we can drift off course. Do you ever feel like, man, I've been doing this for a long time. I've been following Jesus. I read my Bible. I go to church. Why don't I have joy? Why don't I have love for people? Why am I still crushed by anxiety? When these are all things that if I read his word, it tells me that should become a part of me. Why aren't they becoming a part of me? Are we willing to go before the Lord and to, to open ourselves up to his word, which is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joint from marrow, it is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Are we willing to expose ourselves to this God and say, God, I lay down all that I am, all that I think that I am. Show me your way. Show me who you are. Show me who I should be in that. Are you ready to do that? Because as Matt shared in the first week and, and others have shared too, you, when the storm comes in life, who you are is going to show up. That's when you're going to know. And if you're not firmly rooted in Jesus, those storms will wipe you out. I can tell you personally, in my life, I went through a very dark time and the storms came and the waves came against the house and I was not impressed with what was left. I saw, I saw what, what I had of God and what was not of him. And I saw a lot of head knowledge and I saw a lot of things that I just, I thought I knew but I didn't have it. I didn't own it. It hadn't changed me. In returning and rest, you will be saved. In seeking God, in seeking his word, and resting in him, the place where he reigns, we have to keep striving for that. It's work. It's a discipline. It's a discipline to get up and to hear his word. It's a discipline to come and gather with his community. It's a discipline to do the things that he's told us to do. It's a discipline to be with people, isn't it? People are hard. People are hard. It, uh, we struggle, we wrestle. It's like we get together and, and you know, 
if there's more than, than two people in a room, after enough time, there's going to be conflict. Sometimes I feel like we're just inviting it, right? Like we're inviting more and more people into a space, imperfect people who are, who are trying to seek God together. But you know, even a community like this, there's going to be conflict. And what do we do about it? We have to seek him. We have to do what he calls us to. We have to be the, the peacekeepers that he called us to and not be satisfied with just a, a surface level relationship. And it's hard. I wanted to share too, very quickly, some things that we can do to recognize God's voice. Because we talk about that. We talk about God's voice and we talk about hearing God. There's just a few things I want to share. One, it says in the same book of Hebrews, that to please God, you need to believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. And I want to encourage you all that if you will seek God, if you will seek this relationship with him, he is a rewarder of those who seek him. He will meet you. He is pursuing you. He loves you. He stands at the door and knocks. He's pursuing you. I know it feels like we're pursuing him and trying to make time. I promise you, he's calling you to himself. And if you can know that, that is a good truth to wrestle with. The other thing is, this, is, this God is the father of light, and in him there is no shifting shadow. For all the change that's happening in the world, the thing that's not changing is God. And you need to know that. Because if you're seeking to hear God and to hear his voice for your life, it's important to know what's God and what's not. Years ago, I was meeting with somebody who's telling me, yeah, I'm really hearing God call me to this in, their, in my life. And I was like, all right, great, let's pray about that. And we'd meet a week later and they'd say, I hear God calling me to something different now. It's radically different, very different from last week. And I think this is what he's calling me to. I'd say, okay. Well, let's pray about it. And the third week would go by and it's like, this is it. God is telling me this. I know what I'm supposed to do. And I'm like, man, God is sounding less and less like God and more and more like a 17-year-old girl. <laughs> it was a 17-year-old girl, by the way. I'm not making fun of anyone. But you can miss him if you don't know that about him. You can miss him if you, if you don't know that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. When God speaks, he will not shift and change. He does not come in, in fear and intimidation. He comes in power and love and a sound mind. It is not confusing. He will not bounce things around. He will make them clearer. He will come in power and of love and a sound mind. The, the best way to explain this too is he comes the way you wish like the perfect father comes and corrects you. Do you know how a, a good parent will come and correct their child? They don't come in and crush them. They don't come in and make them feel badly about themselves and explain how they're never going to be anything. No, no, no. A great parent can come in and come alongside of you 
And at the same time that they're telling you that something that you did can be corrected and better, they're making you feel loved and encouraged. That's God. When I have people come and share with me that they're just, you know, God is telling them this and just what they're explaining to me is something is grinding them into the ground. I can say with full confidence, and so can you, if this is the thought that's going through your head, that's not God. That is not who Jesus is. That is not his spirit. And when you know these things, and when you seek him, you can, you can start to hear his voice. You can start to understand better. You can start to sort through your thoughts and what's happening in your heart. And you can put them before the Lord and let him test them. The other week I was at work and I was using this water bottle and I was rushing to go to a meeting, but I somehow let myself get into like an intense conversation with someone. And so I took the cap off and I'm filling it and I'm trying to talk to them. And so I go to fill my water bottle, but I'm not looking at it. And I'm filling it and filling it and filling it. And then I stop and I keep talking to them. And then I realize that I stopped the perfect place and I thought oh my gosh it happened again like the time I was 12 it's all coming together I am a super genius I filled this bottle so many times that when I hear it I know I know the echo that it makes as it gets fuller and I know what it sounds like as it's getting to the top I don't even need to look anymore because I've heard it before because I recognize it and I know it in returning, in seeking God, and constantly looking to calibrate our lives to Him and His reign, and resting in that, in knowing His voice and resting, living in, and existing in His reign, that's where we are the best. That's where we, that's where we live our lives in the best way to serve God. That's when we can know Him. That's where we can be the safest, and not just get through the storms, not just get through the changes and the seasons, but where we can conquer through them, where we can bear, bear fruit even through tough times. And if you don't do this, if you don't work at this, if you don't strive to enter this rest and do this work and have this discipline, you're going to miss it. And when the day comes when you can really do something good and holy for God, you might miss it. Don't do that. Don't drift. Don't think that you're more than you are just because you have head knowledge. My father, I'm going to stop there and I'm going to go back to the story. Is that okay? My father was born in 1950 with a pretty significant hole in his heart. So he spent um, a lot of time as a young kid getting uh, open heart surgeries um, and that that happened from the time he was about 12 years old too he had this terrible uh, terrible scar that just ran down his chest just because the number of times that they had to open him up he had a rough time he wasn't I don't know if he was super athletic to begin with but he loved sports, but he really wasn't in physical condition to keep up with the other boys who played. He was teased. He's kind of ostracized. 
where he lived. Uh, he lived across the street from the park. So he would wait at his window and watch the kids who would go out to play baseball. And he knew if there was an odd number, he would grab his glove and go because then they'd let him play. Because he knew even if he just had to fill a spot, they'd let him. I remember one night hearing a story he was sharing with us and he said, when uh, he was about 12 and he had just had an open heart surgery to kind of correct the things at the end, it was the last one he needed. When he went back to school, um, I don't remember the details, but like basically some girl picked on him or punched him in the chest and beat him up. And uh, I don't know if you know this, but for a guy getting beat up by a girl isn't awesome. And he got picked on and made fun of it. And I remember uh, that night that he was sharing this story and he was sharing some other stories too, just about how hard it was. And I remember being in bed crying for him. I remember wishing I could go back in time and be his friend. I wish I could be nice to him. To let him know that he had friends, that it was okay to be good. I hated that for my dad. I was torn up. To me, it defined me. To me, I was so aware of his pain growing up. He was so embarrassed of certain things, and he had, he had done well and owned a business, and even just in his shyness, he would occasionally buy sneakers, and he would come to me. I remember once he was like, hey, are these okay? Like, are these, are these cool? I was like, no. <laughs> You're terrible. It was just so present in our house growing up. This, this scar that was there, the pain that he had been through. And I, it really, it's a part of me. So when my father came down the stairs that day and heard me, see, why he was devastated was because he knew what I knew. And that's this. Kevin was born with a pretty significant hole in his heart. And Kevin had giant scars down his chest from the time he was a baby because of all the surgeries he had had. And I ripped that kid apart that day. I did everything I thought I wasn't. I had no grace for him. I wasn't kind to him. I didn't tell people to back off him. I didn't encourage him. I didn't let him know he had a friend that day. It is a terrible feeling to think that you're something that you're not. And it's so easy you can think that something's a part of you, that it's defined you, that it's changed you, when it really hasn't. And so what we, as a group of people who are seeking Jesus together, need to do 
is to be willing to every day look to God and in, in returning, repenting, seeking Him in every way, in every aspect of our life, go to Him and ask Him, what's of you, God? Show me who you are so that I might know you. Help me to recognize your voice. Help me to seek you so that I can be changed, so that I can live in your rest, in your reign, in your kingdom, and do things the way you would have me do them and not the way I would do them. In returning and rest, we will be saved. That's how we are going to brave the storms together. That's how we're going to go through the seasons together. That's how we will manage change in our lives and together as a group. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you that you don't give up on us. God, thank you that you told us of change from the beginning. And thank you that we know that you are constant in that change. That in you there is no shifting shadow. You are not changing your mind about how you feel about us or what you've done for us. But you love us. And you gave us Jesus so that we might have hope in you. So that we can rest in you. So that we can lay down the things that we think are important. The things that we think are a part of us. And really just take on the things that are of you, God. And that's what we ask for. Lord, for, for all of us here, whether we've been following you our whole lives or if this is the first time we're hearing about you, God, I pray that we would hear your voice, that we would be changed, and that we would go from here seeking you. God, for each person here who might be going through a season of, of significant change that's causing anxiety, health, or job, or marriage, or... God, we lift those people up to you now. We ask for your help. Guide us as, as people and as a community, God, for you. Help us to re reflect you in all things and all ways, Jesus. In your name, amen.